Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And you made it back to Southern Hills. Give yourselves a round of applause. You made it. You're here. We're ready to study from the Word of God. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number six. If you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and do so. Most of our scriptures will be on the screen if you didn't read a, bring a Bible today. No problem. We'll follow along there. If you're new to the church, we are in the midst of a three-week sermon series entitled Upside Down Kingdom. It's actually a study of Jesus's most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And we started it last week, last week with the sermon called The Upside Down, where Jesus reveals that we, that are followers of Jesus Christ, live in an upside down world, but we are to live right side up in an upside down world. We're to live different than the rest of the world. We're to be different than the rest of the world. And last week's sermon outlines what that looks like. Today is part two of the sermon series, Upside Down Kingdom, and the name of the sermon is entitled, well, here it is, Don't Be a Karen. Now, I have to begin by apologizing to anybody who's actually named Karen uh, in the room or watching online. You've had a bad couple years. It's been kind of rough. The idea that you've been judged just basically, simply based on your name. We apologize. What's the male equivalent to Karen? Does anybody know? Is it, what is it? I thought it was Chet. I wasn't sure. It sounds like it, right? Doesn't seem like Chet would lose their mind or lose their cool. Here's the concept. What is a Karen, for those who don't know? The modern nomenclature of the term Karen means this. It's somebody who is extremely judgmental, but lacks all self-awareness and lacks all discretion. That's what a Karen is, at least for the purposes that we're studying today. And Jesus talks about both of these principles in this passage, judgmentalism and discernment. He talks about the fact that we as followers of his need to be different. I understand that the world is filled with judgmental people who lack all discernment, but Jesus followers, Jesus people, we're supposed to be the opposite of that. We're supposed to be filled with discernment and lack all judgmentalism. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever been a Karen? It's amazing, right? The world is filled with Karens, but none of us have ever been that. It's not us, it's other people. It's other people which make us Karens and judgmental even. I'm highly aware that I'm about to preach a sermon about being judgmental. How ironic is that? I'm gonna, as a person, tell you as people to not be as judgmental as other people, right? So the whole thing is filled with irony today. But as we talk about it, please understand, I struggle with this area. Like I, Josh, your pastor, I have struggled throughout my entire life with being a judgmental person. I have been a Karen on more than one occasion and embarrassed myself probably more than any of these dear, sweet men and women online. I'll give you an example. I'm 25 years old, something like that. It's 15, 16, 17 years ago, um, and I'm, I'm at a pastor's conference, 
And it's a big pastor's conference. Thousands of pastors from all over the country are there. And I'm sitting in the back with some of my pastor friends and with my wife. And we're just having a great time. It was a packed house. I mean, thousands of people are there. And the spirit just was thick in the room. And everybody was excited. And, and um, the preaching all week had been great. It had been there Monday. And now it was Tuesday morning. And we are going to be there till Wednesday. And it was Tuesday. And all the music was done. Everybody sat down. It was time for the preacher to get up and preach. And I'm sitting way back here, and I, I had a view where I could see the guy, and he got, gets up. He's standing at the front. He gets up, and he's taking a while to get to the front because he's an elderly man. He's an older man. When I say elderly, I'm telling you he had to be 172 years old. The guy, the guy was cousins with Methuselah. This man was an old, old, that's a deep cut Bible joke there. He's an old man. He's so old that they had two other pastors who had to come off the stage and help the man up the stairs. And when he got here, he kind of shooed them away, and he started walking toward the pulpit like this. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, this is taking far too long. This is exhausting. He finally gets to the front where the pulpit is, and it takes him a full two minutes to put his Bible out. It takes him a full two minutes to put his notes in order. He's moving things around, and he's placing his cup, and he's looking around, and he moves his glasses up and down. And I'm thinking, get to it! Say something! This guy's driving me insane up there, moving around like an old man. And all of a sudden, as he did, he finally opened his mouth. But instead of to speak, the guy doesn't say anything. Instead, he clears his throat. <coughs> <coughs> And he does it, I'm telling you, for an, like a full minute. Old, disgusting man up there, wasting everybody's time. That was a great worship set. We're here to study the Bible. They pull somebody out of a grave to stand him in front of a bunch of people. And I'm just not happy about it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I looked over to my wife, and I'm just like, Pfft. And she's like, what? I'm like, Pfft. She's like, shh. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, this is stupid, man. Like they need somebody up there young with some enthusiasm, some passion, some charisma, somebody more like, somebody more like me. I wasn't going to say it out loud, you know. I, wasn't, I was waiting for somebody else to point it out. Somebody I figured soon would stand up and be like, take him off, put Josh up there. They should have. I, I was sitting. Fine, whatever. Let's get on with it. Finally, the man spoke. Finally, he spoke. And he looked up from his glasses and his hunched back and he said, Men, too many of you rely upon your youth, your charm, your wit, your charisma. And this is why you will fail. Power is not found in you. It's found in him. I felt like a fool. <laughs> Do you know why I felt like a fool? Because I was a fool. He called me out without even knowing he called me out. See, when I, when I preach today about being a Karen, when I preach today about being judgmental, 
When I point a finger out there, I've got three knowingly pointing back at me. If this is something you've ever struggled with once, it's something I struggle with every single day because it appears the more we become religious, the more judgmental we become. So some of you in this room may not struggle with this as much as I do, but today I want to share with you the main thought of the sermon as Jesus does in the middle portion of his sermon that a Karen is highly judgmental but completely lacks self-awareness, completely lacks all discernment. How can I avoid this embarrassing trap, Josh? How can I avoid being a fool like you? Well, let's go ahead and see what the Bible says in this passage. Three thoughts. Number one, first Jesus teaches us to, number one, don't be so judgmental. Say it with me. Don't be so judgmental. Say it again. Say it again. Don't be so judgmental. It's so difficult to obey this because we know deep inside how much better we are than everybody else. And because we know this, we really want them to be as great as we are. But we also know, and it's so strange, isn't it? how screwed up we really are inside. And more importantly than we knowing our own errors is the fact that our creator God knows our errors and says, stop being so judgmental. Look at what he says in verse 37. Judge not, Jesus' words, not mine. How many believe that Jesus' followers should follow Jesus? Say amen. amen. Jesus said, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Don't be so judgmental. Do you know why you feel people constantly judging you? It could be because you're constantly judging others. If you don't want people constantly judging you, stop being so judgmental. How do you know this? Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. Stop condemning lest you be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Remember, this is in the context of what we were talking about last week. How did we end last week's sermon? Talking about that we should be showing mercy to people, forgiveness to people, love to people. We said that you and your family are so rich with mercy, love, and forgiveness, it should be flowing out of you. And so he continues the thought. Forgive, well, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men give unto your bosom. Stop. A lot of times, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard this passage taught about financially. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. If you give, if, you've, if you're generous financially with people, people will be generous financially with you. If you're stingy with people, people will be stingy with you. All of that is true, but in the context of the sermon, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. Mercy, love. The more loving and merciful and forgiving you, more, you are to others, the more loving and merciful and forgiving people are to you. This is what Jesus is telling us. So what are we to give and it shall be given? Well, we're to give mercy and love and forgiveness. We're to give the benefit of the doubt. We, as Jesus people, should be people who give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm not good at that. My wife is, Heather is very good at this. My wife and I will be in the same car and experience the exact same thing. Some maniac will speed by and they'll cut us off. And whenever that person speeds by and cuts it off, I have a reaction, she has a reaction. My reaction is this man is a jerk, a fool, a moron, idiot. Who in the world is that person? I hate them, I hope they die. 
Some of you are like, you're not a good person. I never said I was. <laughs> Part of the whole thing. Never claimed it. I'm more messed up than anybody. My wife's reaction, I swear to you, she said it to me so many times, and it drives me nuts. I'm like, look at this moron. My wife will often say, <laughs> she'll say, you don't know. They could be on their way to the hospital. Everybody's on their way to the hospital. <laughs> we are to be givers of mercy, givers of love, givers of forgiveness. Benefit of the doubt should be our default mode. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you again. The same way you show mercy is how people show mercy to you. The same way you show love is how people show love to you. The same way you show forgiveness. You say, but I'm not very merciful, loving, and forgiving. That's why people are not loving, merciful, and forgiving to you. That's what Jesus is saying to Jesus' people. Oh, my word, this is really tough. And he spoke a parable unto them. Jesus is going to explain it by visual aid, by sermon illustration. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? You don't get a blind dog to lead a blind person. You get a seeing eye dog to lead a, 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 a blind individual. Otherwise, they'll both be in trouble. His point is in the broader context of critiquing the religious leaders of his day. He's saying a lot of you are following the example of the religious leaders who are extremely hypocritical and judgmental. The reason there's a group of people who are extremely critical, judgmental, hateful, and lacking mercy is because you have followed people who explain the same way. They're blind people leading you blind people into a, di a ditch. Now, this part's going to be hard to hear, and it was hard for, for me to hear when the Lord was speaking in my heart this week as I prepared. Okay, you ready? Got your thick skid on? You ready? Got your steel-toed boots on? Because here it comes. Could it be the reason why your children and your grandchildren or your parents or your uncles and aunts are so merciless and so judgmental toward you? Lacking love is because you give off a vibe that is constantly judgmental, lacking mercy, and lacking love toward them. Could it be possible you have actually developed a sense of judgmentalism because you watched it in your parents, you watched it in your grandparents, you watched it in a religious leader, you watched it in a staff sergeant, you watched it in a boss from the past, you watched it in somebody's life that you admired, and you thought, that's the way to be, and you have been led blind by a blind individual, verse 40, and a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That means it could be the reason you're so judgmental, you're so harsh, you're so mean, you lack mercy. The reason we as Christians sometimes act this way is not because we're following Jesus who is filled with love, mercy, and forgiveness. It's because we're following others who lack these things and we have become like our disciplers. And so what we've got to do is we've got to just stop with the judgmentalism. It's not easy because we're addicted to it. By the way, all of this is in context of the Pharisee. You can look it up in Matthew chapter 15. We know it's true. Now, Pastor Josh, 
Why, do, why is judgmentalism so dangerous? Here's why. Two thoughts, and we'll move on. Two thoughts. I'm telling you, it's terrible for you. It's poison. Don't touch it. Here's why. Two thoughts. Number one, because judgmental people are begging to be judged. Have you ever been in a workplace where there was one individual who just loved to call out anybody who was late? Like they maybe not even the boss, but they're always like, you must have had a late night last night. Like, nobody could ever show up late without them saying something. Like, they're in the other room. Somebody slips in 10 minutes late. They run in from the other room. You're late, you're late. You're, you're late. You ever work with somebody like this? What is the entire group of workers waiting for? They're just waiting for the day that guy shows up late. They're just waiting for it. Why? Because he spent his life pointing out everybody else's mistakes. That person shows up late one time, everybody's like, ah! This is the moment we've been waiting. Ooh, you're always Mr. Punctual. This is what we do. If you're constantly critical of the way people physically look, you better be careful because you're going to re reap that. You're constantly critical of the way people act. You better be careful because you're going to bring that back on yourself. You're constantly critical in your home. No wonder the home has become a place that doesn't feel like a restful place to you. You're constantly critical of everybody at work. You're constantly critical of everybody at church. You're constantly critical of everybody on social media. No wonder you feel constantly attacked because judgmental people are just begging to be judged the moment you make a mistake. I don't know about you. I still have a few mistakes ahead of me. Anybody agree? How many of you feel like, you still might make a few mistakes in life. How many of you are like Josh? They might come around the corner. How many of you like that? So how about we keep our mouths shut and let everybody make their mistakes? Second thought here, really important about judgmentalism. Number two here, judgmental people reproduce judgmental people. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, we do. The disciple is not above his master, the Bible says. If, you're, if, you're, if your Jedi master leads you, so will the Padawan become. I counsel and coach a lot of pastors. I've noticed that the most critical pastors, pastors who are deeply critical of other churches, other preachers, other people, they're critical of their own congregation, the pastors that are the most critical pastors tend to have the most critical flock. They have deacons constantly fighting them. They have people constantly angry with them. People are always leaving, running away. Big problem. Why? Because they, as a leader, have developed that in their community. I've also noticed, counsel a lot of fathers. I've noticed that the fathers who are the most critical tend to have the most critical children. Mothers that are the most critical tend to have the most critical children and grandchildren. You're just constantly finding a problem and a fault in everybody. And it's like your job, that's your job to correct everybody. And you wonder why it is nobody is constantly under, unconditionally supportive of you. Where did they learn this behavior? I was at a restaurant with my, um, with my family. Um, and you know, it's been tough 
the restaurant workers, if you're a restaurant worker, you're amazing. It's been tough on you because of the lack of workers and people coming back late from COVID and all this stuff. You go into a restaurant and you sit down and it's not, it's not as, you know, it's not as quick as I remember, you know? And I remember I was sitting at Chili's with my family probably about six months ago, eight months ago, and I'm with my three kids and my wife and I, and we're having some good chips and salsa, and, and my, my drink was empty, and I was like, oh, my drink, and all the drinks were empty. And we're just talking, having a good time. And, and one of my children, who will remain nameless, throws this person's arms on the table and says, oh, the service in this place, am I Right? Now, where did this person learn that behavior? (laughs) My other child, child number two, says to child number one, you don't know, they could be having a really bad day. (laughs) Where do you think child number two learned their behavior? Say, well, Pastor Josh, I'm just the type of person who has a critical eye. I like to see a piece of art, and I like to dissect it. I watch a movie, and I like to dissect it. I just have a critical eye. Nothing wrong with having a critical eye, but some of you have developed such a critical eye, you've cultivated a critical spirit. You see negativity everywhere. You can't go to church without seeing the negative. You can't go to work without seeing the negative. You can't stay at home without seeing the negative. You can't enjoy a beautiful movie without seeing ne- Everything to you is constantly negative, and it's destroying, and it's hurting you. I just don't want you to create an environment that is unbearable for you to live in. Listen to me. As your shepherd, I love you. I just want you not to create an environment for yourself that's unbearable to live in. You cultivate a highly judgmental spouse. You cultivate an extremely critical children. You cultivate an overly demanding workplace. Depending on how judgmental you are. See? And so number one, Jesus says, look, I don't want that for my followers. So stop being so judgmental. Number two, prioritize your problems. Say it with me prioritize your problems. Oh, I I know. Emphasis on the second word. Try it again. Prioritize your problems. Let's say it again. Say it again. Prioritize your problems. Friend, the next portion of Scripture is one of the most famous Jesus ever spoke. And his point is, if you see a problem, see the problem in you, not in other people. See, I've just got a gift of helping everybody. Help yourself first. Can I get an amen? Look what it says in verse 41. And why do you look at a speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not, do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye? <laughs> or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck out of your own eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? And then Jesus says a really rough word. Oh my goodness. Hypocrite! First, remove the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck that is out of your brother's eye. What? So just imagine. (laughs) Imagine you're in a scenario, a situation, where you have a an eyelash that's in your eye, and it's been like it's been there for like an hour, and you're freaking out. You're like, what's a stinking eyelash? Gotta get the eyelash. How many of you know that feeling? You're like, just, oh. 
and you're like, somebody help me. And all of a sudden, around the corner, this guy's like, oh, I got you. I got it. Oh, this is not good. You're going to hurt yourself. Come here. Come here. No, go around. Come here. All right. Oh, yeah, that's got to hurt. You look ridiculous. You'd be like, hey, bro, like, thanks for the help, but how about you take care of your problem? Do you know the way most of the world looks at Christians? The way most of the world sees Christians is just like this. Hey, you got some problems out there. And they don't even claim to follow Jesus. I had a buddy, a member of our church, over a decade ago, so very few of you would even know who it was, probably 13, 14 years ago, he said to me after the service, this is a good guy, big guy, Las Vegas guy, born and raised, any, any, any Las Vegas people here? Come on, born and raised, there it is, there's a few of us, there's like three of us, like, woohoo! Hello, everybody else. I was born and raised in Vegas, he was a Vegas guy, uh, a dealer downtown, big dealer downtown, big guy. Um, he was like a bodybuilder type, you know, like big guy and man's man. He's the kind of guy like, um, he's the kind of guy like when I get around them, I like to lower my octave of, hey, what's up, bro? I say bro a lot. We're having around the guys like, hey, bro. Hey, what's up, bro? What's up, bro? He'd come into church. If he'd ever like give me one of those side hugs, you know how guys are like, hey. He'd be like, hey, pastor, how you doing? I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? Hey. Big guy. 13 or so years ago, after service, he said, he said, Pastor. I'm like, yeah. Pastor, we need to talk. I said, sure, what's it about? He said, it's very serious. I'm like, sure, yeah. Now, we went into my office, and immediately I thought, okay, it has to be about one of three things, because I know he told me about a month and a half before, he really screwed up. He messed up, right? He's not married, but he has a girlfriend, and he, he wasn't supposed to. They're not married, but they, they messed up together, and and according to the Bible, as a Jesus follower, you wait until marriage. And so he came to me and he's like, oh, I really messed up. What do I do? So I helped him through that. Maybe it was about that. Or maybe it was about the substance abuse because he was addicted to some things he didn't want to be addicted to. And I've been praying with him, trying to help him through that. Or, or maybe it was about his two teenage daughters who no longer really talk to him. And now that he's following Jesus, he's trying to figure out how to get them to talk to him. And, how to, and I've been working with him on these three issues, sexual immorality, substance abuse, and family doesn't like him. So I thought he was going to ask about that. He came to my office, he sat down, and he just, he sat down. <gasps> I'm like, man, you look like the weight of the world's on your shoulder. It is, Pastor, I got a big problem. I said, what is it? He said, I'm never coming back to church. I'm like, bro. Bro. <laughs> I'm like, why? And he said, Pastor, it's the men of this church. A bunch of hypocrites. I said, why? What happened? He said, you probably don't know this, but every one of the men I talk to in this church, one of their favorite sports to watch is UFC fighting. And I'm sitting there like you are, like, and? <laughs> Pastor, don't you understand? These men are followers of Jesus, and they watch a violent sport like UFC fighting. There's bleeding. And he's like getting passionate, ups and I'm like getting nervous. He's coming up at me, and I'm like, <laughs> I cannot be in a church where the men are watching violent sports on Saturday night and worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, honest to God, thought he was joking. I'm like, are you for, are you, 
are you, are you being for real? Like nothing about your kids, nothing about your addiction, nothing about your failures, nothing about your sin, because you're good, man. Everybody else needs to stop watching UFC. This is what Christians do. This is what we're accused of. This is what's true. Gay people, gay people. I don't think gay people should get married while you cultivate an addiction to pornography secretly. I'm not sure that the government should be involved in caring for poor people, though I haven't given a dime to any charitable organization in the last 10 years. Too close? How about this one? You need to be careful of your carbon footprint. If you don't recycle your plastic bottles, what's wrong with you? As I take a private jet to the Oscars. <laughs> it's all hypocritical, but I love that that third one gets like, everybody's like, yeah, I don't have a private jet! <laughs> this is what we do. And no wonder we have no respect. You say, I don't really care what the world thinks. Honestly, I care less about what the world thinks than I do what the Heavenly Father thinks. But if the Heavenly Father is up there saying, looking at us like this, Jesus came to tell us, this is how you look to the Father who knows your real issues. You're out there freaking out because people who are not even followers of God are living like they're not followers of God. And you're like, I am a follower of God. You better get rid of your issues. What are we doing? So, point number two, prioritize your problems. See, you want to fix the world, and I don't know why it is Christians have a savior mentality, a superman. We already have a superman. But you want to save the world, you want to fix the world, but your wife doesn't like you, your husband doesn't want to sleep with you, and your kids don't talk to you. What are we doing? Am I right or am I wrong? Our finances are, are a mess. Our families are a mess. Our communities are a mess. We're not focused on what we should be focused on, but we want to fix everybody else. And so Jesus says, I'll help you, I'll help you. Stop being so judgmental. And number two, prioritize your problems. And then number three, number three, develop strong discernment. You say, Pastor Josh, you talk about discernment. I mean, you talk about judgment, and some of you are very logical thinkers, so you've been thinking the whole time, okay, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to be so judgmental. Are you telling me I'm not supposed to know the difference between right and wrong? No, no, no. In the English, we've got two words that really help us to distinguish the difference. Judgmentalism, bad. Discernment, good. And so Jesus deals with discernment in the very next verses. Let me explain the difference. What is judgmentalism? My definition of judgmentalism, the need to verbalize your immediate opinion while lacking self-awareness. I have a thought. It must be the right thought. I'm going to say it out loud. Make sure everybody knows my thought. And you don't even have self-awareness of what you're doing. Judgmentalism. Discernment, though, that's the good one. Discernment. This is a quiet contemplation of facts that lead to a personal decision for me. 
you should have loads of discernment and you should have zero judgmentalism. In a world that has loads of judgmentalism and they have zero discernment. Do you see how you're upside down? See how you're supposed to be different than them? Look at what Jesus says about discernment. He says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit. How do you know a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit? How do you know if it's a bad tree unless you are discerning? You are making a discerning call. That's a bad tree that brings bad fruit and good tree. What is Jesus dealing with? Well, again, the context all the way back to chapter 5 is dealing with these false teachers, these religious rulers that are producing bad fruit. He's saying don't follow them and be judgmental like them. That's the context. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree produce good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs of thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. That is, if you see a bad tree that produces poisonous fruit, mark the tree and don't eat fruit from that tree. Makes sense, right? Like, if you're walking through an area and there's a big pond, and the pond has dead animals around it, and it has uh, carcasses and bones scattered around it, do you go and drink out of that water? Yes or no? No, you judgmental person. You judge that water. No, that's not judgmentalism. That's discernment. So what do you do? You mark that pond and say, you know what? I've made a decision. I've quietly thought about this, and I'm not going to drink out of that water. Look, it goes on. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. Watch people. Make discernment. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. If somebody is saying evil things, it means there's evil inside them. If somebody is saying good things, it means good is inside them. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's talking about avoiding false teachers, but there's a broader principle at play, and that is have discernment to know the difference between good and bad. How do I practically apply this to my life, Pastor? Here, here's how, here's how. Okay. If you notice in life there's a poisonous teacher, mark him and don't listen to that teacher. Does it make sense? Okay. If you notice in life there's a poisonous lifestyle, mark it and don't live that lifestyle. What else, Pastor? That's it. Just don't, don't do it. I'm going to make it my life's mission to make sure everybody who doesn't follow God also agrees with everything that I say. Why? You're not a Corinthian. You're not a Roman. You're not of this world. Have discernment. You notice a toxic person in life? Mark the person and avoid them. I just think everybody needs to know they're toxic. That's what I think. I think I need to go online and let everybody know that they're toxic. They hurt my feelings. They're toxic. No, no. For you, you've decided I'm done. Keep it yourself and be done with them. See, what do I do if there's a bad restaurant? Don't eat there. Do, do you follow Jesus people are different people? Can I get an amen? You notice there's a bad job? Don't work it. You notice it's a bad company? Don't buy from it. You notice un it's unhealthy food? Don't eat it. It's a bad politician? Don't vote for them. 
Here's what I've learned in life. If somebody doesn't ask for your opinion, it's likely they don't want it. Like, are you valuing your opinion so high that you feel like you've got to force it on the marketplace? If somebody hasn't asked your opinion, it's likely they don't want it. You say, Pastor, jo Pastor Josh, but I mean, like, then how do I live my life? Okay, here's what you do. You say, first of all, focus on here, get this right. And what'll happen is you live a life that is so reflective of Jesus, that is so upside down in this upside down world, what will happen is people will come to you and they'll be like, why, how is it that, it seems that you're, di why is everything so different with you? Suddenly, Christians will begin playing by the playbook that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago and we might actually win this world for Christ that way. See how it works? Hmm. <laughs> You say, boy, this is upside down thinking. Yep. That's exactly how it would sound to those of us who are raised in an upside down world. That's part two. Next week, part three, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study the Sermon on the Mount, your most famous sermon. As we learned last week that we are to live differently in this crazy world, I pray that today you would help us to practically, not be so judgmental, but filled with discernment so that we can attract people to you and bring about true world change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.